welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey where we talk with people who are trying to live their most fulfilling life, which often tends to be on a much different path than it started out on. Whether it was changing careers, getting laid off from a job which sparked their entrepreneurial journey, getting in the best shape of their life, or breaking through the noise to answer their calling. All of these types of situations and more but they wouldn't have gotten to where they are today if they didn't get started. We talk about the why and the how of it all, all the getting started moments, and the lessons learned along the way. I'm truly grateful to have you listening in on this episode, so let's get it started. On this week's episode, I have the pleasure of welcoming in two guests, Steve Scott and Trip Bowden, who are the co-authors of Hey Tiger, You Need to Move Your Mark Back, and really the foundation of this book is the 1996 United States Amateur Championship, the finals between Steve Scott and Tiger Woods, um, ultimately where Tiger won in a playoff. But it was really because of a moral and ethical decision that Steve made late in that match um, that ultimately you know swung the tides there a little bit. And we talk a lot about that decision. Uh, we talk a lot about the writing process. Um, and just the overall, you know, approach of why this book need to be written um, and, and the stories that come along with it. And, you know, this is a special one for me because, you know, the 1996 U.S. Amateur uh, Championship was one of the first golf events that I ever watched on TV. I had watched the Masters earlier that year, um, and I'd watch, I think, one or two other events here and there. But I just started playing golf uh, the year prior so it was really one of those events that got me just glued to the TV because um, it was such an exciting final match. And I remember watching it like it was yesterday. I can even picture myself now as I'm thinking about this, um, being in the basement, watching it on the big screen TV. Um, you guys remember those back in the uh, in the 90s. But it was uh, it was pretty cool. And uh, so when I had the chance and, and saw that Steve and Tripp were coming out with this book, I reached out to them and very uh, gracious they were to come on here and share a lot of their journey um, to get to this point, the writing process, etc. So I hope you all enjoy this wide ranging conversation. And without further ado, my chat today with Steve Scott and Tripp Bowden. Well, Steve, Tripp, great to have you on the, uh, the Just Get Started podcast. Thanks for joining today. Oh, honored to be here. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, and I, yeah, I'm great, really interested about, you know, I saw this, uh, the book launched here, Steve, I think I must have been some on LinkedIn, I think you post or what have you, and I saw it come across, I said, man, this is awesome, it's one, and, and I could share later on, but actually that match was one of the pinnacle matches that got me really interested in golf, um, which is kind of exciting, so I was like, man, I would love to learn a little bit more about this how y'all, how y'all met, how you actually did the writing process mm-hmm. and all that. So we'll jump into all that. I guess we'll start if it's okay, because there seems like some serendipity of maybe this book was never going to be written if you guys didn't meet. So whoever wants to take it, maybe start there. How did y'all meet? How did you get, um, get introduced to one another? Actually, we uh, met in prison. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Steve. What, what, what did you say? I said we met in prison. <laughs> golfer's prison i guess right yeah Uh, the uh (laughs) no well no it was it was it was a yeah it was it was pretty fortunate um you know i being involved with the outpost club like i am we uh we always have every tuesday of master's week we always have an event we call the pig pull we roast a we do a big barbecue at uh at doc bowden's house uh and um and and uh, so I met Trip there, and 
And, and then about a year or so later, we were, I was having an event for my Silver Club Golfing Society, our, our championship event at Champions Retreat just outside of Augusta. And I thought, hey, wh- who, who better to come and talk to our crew and, you know, give him the insight to Augusta and, and give him his own book. I mean, Tripp uh, wrote a wonderful book called Freddie and Me about 12 years ago about his experiences at, uh, as, as uh, a caddy at Augusta National and his friendship with, with Freddie Bennett, the longtime caddy master there. But the, uh, the opportunity to have Trip come was, was great. So he came and talked to our crew, and, and, um, and I kind of was talking to him about my story. This was December 2019, and he, he, said, he said, what? You, you were blown away by the story. Completely blown away. Uh, and Brian, Steve being so humble as he is, we're, uh, we're around the table. He didn't want, didn't want me to do like a normal talk that I do where I'm up at a podium and telling stories that way, but just telling them kind of casual at the, at the table. And then Steve shares his story about the epic match, which he didn't even call it epic. And he just have, happens to casually mention, you know, Tiger, you need to move your mark back. And I just froze in my tracks and in my writing tracks and my brain tracks. And I said, wait a minute. So if you don't tell him to move that mark back, you win the U.S. Amateur. He loses. Golf history changes forever. Tiger would never be the same. No question about it. And he goes, uh, well, yeah, I guess I've never really thought about it like that. And I was like, what? And my mind just exploded, and things took, took off from there. And that's how the idea was born. Yeah. Each humility born the idea. Yeah. No, that's really cool. So I, I guess my, my thought or so that's great. You all have a conversation because this happens all day, every day. Folks talk about an idea or, hey, that, that'd be cool. Why did, why did the book need to be written, though? Like, why was it so important to make sure this got out? That's a great question. Uh, well, to me, it's, it's, it's all about doing the right thing, kind of, you know, Spike Lee kind of thing. But it's, uh, it's just a, the honor of the game and what the game's all about. And it, it, what really triggered me, Brian, among many, many, many things about this story was, would I have done that? I sure hope I would have. But would Ben Hogan have done that? Hell no. Would Jack Nicholas? I don't know. Bobby Jones would have done it. Would you have done it if you knew that? If you knew that, I mean, Steve was on autopilot, of course, and it's also his personality and it's who he is. But knowing good and well that if you say nothing, which you could certainly say nothing, you win the U.S. Amateur. Would you have done that? Well, and for and and I th- maybe as a, a sidestep, I mean, maybe a lot of folks listen to this play golf and understand the rules, but obviously in match play, if you he had to move his mark on the putting green, you're allowed to move your mark, you know, so. Uh, so he doesn't get in the line. You told him to move it back. Otherwise he would have lost the hole and subsequently the match. That's, that's absolutely right. I mean, I mean, look, I, I think it's, uh, you know, the story certainly mentions that. Um, and it's, you know, it's a story about the greatness of the game, right. And, and it's the differentiator of golf versus all other sports. And it, golf is on this pedestal, right. It's on this, this, uh, this upper plateau of sports, as far as, the the character that one should have when they play the game and and the integrity because you know the playing field is so vast right it's it's a it's a huge playing field and so you know there's there can't be a referee at every point looking over your shoulder and you know throwing a flag or blowing a whistle like they do in other sports and so golf is um you know it's a self-policing game and and at that moment you know the, the greatness of the game was really shown i mean it's not it's it's not a Steve Scott toot your horn toot your own horn sort of moment yeah. it's a toot the horn of golf 
It's the really showcases why golf is what it is and why it differentiate it differentiates itself from other sports. And, um, you know, it just takes it to the, uh, to the next level as far as, you know, why, why character is important, why, why being honest is important, why helping your, your fellow competitor and your opponent in this situation is important. Yeah. Well, I think too, with, you know, that's one of the things that I don't know about y'all, but attracted me to the game when I was young was just the honesty, the integrity of the game. It, it seemed different. And even, I know we all have kids, but even like getting my son to the game and, um, you know, you, you teach them obviously about the swing and putting and all this stuff, but it's really about those, those lessons, you know, about the game and being able to go through the, you know, the, the course of a round, if you will, um, I think is the cool part of it. So obviously to do that and have the wherewithal, cause you're, you're in a heated match with, you know, this dominant player that's, you know, obviously, you know, I don't know. Did you, did you know that, I guess I'll go on a side step. Like, did you feel the presence of tiger that obviously everyone has over the last 20 something years, or was that not really as known there in that time? No, it, it certainly was. I mean, you know, the whole world knew that he was on the verge of uh, becoming professional. I mean, it ultimately turned out to be his last amateur match that yeah. he ever played. He said, if I can beat Steve Scott, I'm ready to go and turn pro and, <laughs> and I've hit the, I've hit the mountaintop. And so, no, but, but uh, you no, know, but that moment uh, I knew pretty quickly that moment was going to be very different. We got on the tee that Sunday morning at seven 15 and the whole first hole, 420 plus yard par four was lined both sides with people and where people should have been a church or, you know, asleep, <laughs> you know, they were out coming out and they were watching this match. And it was that, it, that monumental of a match. And, you know, there's a lot of celebrities out there. I mean, there was Phil Knight, uh, co-founder of Nike was in the, was in the gallery inside the ropes. Um, I uh, saw, so I ran into Peter Jacobson out there. I mean, there's lots of people who I've run in over the course of the last 25 years that said, Hey, I was out there that day. And there was over 15,000 people following us. So um, it was a pretty, it was a pretty big match. Yeah. I, well, I want to get into the, uh, the, obviously the book writing process and stuff. I want to ask you a few things. Cause I, so I actually went back cause I hadn't watched in a while. So I went back and watched um, some of the match I'm, I have to imagine, you know, obviously, again, playing golf and maybe not as, definitely not as a, as competitive a level as you have, but, um, and maybe, you know, Trip, you can, your, your time caddying and stuff, maybe layer in here, but what are you thinking, Steve? Up, you're up five, 36 hole final, you're up five. Like, what's going through your head at that time? Like, you're like, I'm, I, are you like starting to say, like, I got one hand on this thing? I mean, what, what are your thoughts there? I'm obviously well, at the I age that you're at. You know, yeah, I was 19 years old at the time, and I knew from Tiger's track record, I mean, he had a pretty well-established track record at that point, yeah. that he always came back. I mean, I knew that in his five previous USGA finals, he went to the last hole of that match every single time, and he won, mm. or, or, or overtime, and won every single time. And so you think about the probabilities of something like that happening uh, are, are so small, but... Uh, yeah, it, it, it was, I kind of knew that, uh, you know, if, if I kind of maintained my play, I, I just, uh, that, that I was going to be all right, but I knew that he was going to pull something out of his hat mm -hmm. and ultimately he did. I mean, if, if, if I were to say to somebody, all your listeners out there, you're five up after 18 holes and you're going to shoot two under par in the second 18 and you're going to lose, you would, you would call BS on that all day long. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, I mean, that's, and that is what happened. 
I, I pulled, I forced Tiger to, to do Tiger things that we all know and that he has done now for the last 25 years on the professional circuit. So, um, yeah, it was just, it, it was that, uh, that finality of his amateur career. And, you know, just, I was just one, I was another opponent to, uh, you know, get in his way like Bob May or Rocco Mediate. And he was not about to, uh, he was not about to go down. Yeah. What are, are there, as you think back of this, are there things that you learned from that day that not just golf related, but kind of life related and <clears throat> anything that you'd share that'd be helpful? For sure. Um, you know, I think just, I mean, the whole week really, uh, I mean, perseverance, number one, I, I feel like the, all like the nine core values of the first T I, I uh, that's somebody, some group that I've connected with on this story too, but um, all nine values of the first T really have come, came to bear in that, in that whole event. I mean, perseverance, um, I, I was a, uh, uh, I shot 79 in the first day of stroke play and I was in 242nd place after day one of stroke play and only the top 64 make it to match play. So if you do the math there, you knew that, uh, I mean, I had to, I had to pull miracles out and I shot 66 the second day of stroke play to make it in by a shot. So, um, yeah, that was certainly a life lesson. I mean, another life lesson was, you know, honesty and, and character goes a long way. Um, and I've gotten a lot of mileage out of, out of that one moment on that 34th hole of the match when I did remind Tiger to move that mark. And, um, you know, I certainly hope that anybody playing the game would have done that. I hope, you know, trip would have done that. And, uh, but it's just, it's, it, there's certainly a lot of life lessons and, and then just, uh, you know, just not, not having fear, I think, uh, in that moment. Right. I mean, Tiger Woods was this great player pulling everything out. Um, and I, I went with him toe to toe. I mean, I, I, if, if, you know, the worst thing that happens in my life as I get older, I can say, look, I battled the greatest player of our generation to the to the end uh that's that was a great life lesson too well you you did have a putt to win it right on i think the 37th the first playoff hole right yeah what was crazy was i mean even though i was five up and the the lead was whittled down after the the front nine and the second 18 but um i had i only had one putt that day to win and that was on the 37th hole that first playoff hole from about 15 feet and I was as nervous as I could be, and um, I, I didn't. I didn't hit the greatest putt that I ever hit, and kind of missed it a little weak right, and you know, and that was that was my only chance to win. He he never he never let me, you know, uh, let me get in the get in the door to win. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's interesting too. Like the you know, we can think back and and the what ifs, but isn't it amazing the trajectory of just life and careers? Just that one, like that putt. If you make that putt what that does maybe for his career, what that does for your career is, and it's so interesting when you think about life, all these like small little moments that happen that lead up to, you know, ultimately, obviously we're sitting here today talking about the book, you know, and, and stuff like that, but who knows what it could have been, you know, it's so interesting how all that works on both sides of it too. Right. Good. Ambient, yeah. So. Yeah. I, I think, and trip can, can speak to this for sure. I mean, that's a lot of what we put into the book as well is like, you know, there's kind of, there's a few, what if scenarios trip, Oh, there's a there's a bunch of one scenarios to me, but um, I think that there's, there's so many little moments along the way that that uh, ended up obviously shaping your life, and uh, 
But I, I will go back, and I know it's not the, the necessarily the core of the book, but Brian, I asked you, uh, would you have told Tiger to move the mark back? And you did, did not say anything. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, I, I me personally would have, um, but just that's just how I've always played the game, though. Yes. That's all. Well, Steve yeah. was talking about tooting the horn of golf. Uh, I think that's not, not to toot his horn so much, but uh, I think he should. I mean, I, that was a hell of a thing to do. Yeah. And I really do wonder, in reality, how many people would have done that? Yeah. Well, I it, think it's two things, right? It's it's would you have done it, right? Which I hope most players would. But the the point is, would you remember? You know, he's thinking about his putt. He's thinking about stuff going on. He may have forgotten um, to do. I mean, I've I've forgotten at times. I've played, you know, playing with friends and stuff like that. Yeah. And they'll move the mark, and and you know, and you're like, oh, who, you know, who cares? You're playing like some recreational fun match. But uh, yeah, sometimes you just forget because you're just off in some other world maybe worrying yeah. about it so i think that's there's two big components there that had to happen so agreed oh, oh steve you were asking about the, the or just talking about the what ifs uh in the in the book uh, after my interview with you uh, one of many that we had together with, during the pandemic uh speaking of you, you christy put the bag on a certain part of the uh, off the green and you turned a certain way and if you had to turn a certain way you wouldn't have seen it and just like you're saying brian he wouldn't have even been a part of the the moment yeah. But he just happened to go towards the bag, turn a certain way, and see what Tiger was doing. Otherwise, none of this happens. Yeah, yeah no, no doubt. I mean, there's yeah. The, if if I don't make the the ten footer for par, <clears throat> if I don't make the ten footer for par, you know, I I concede his birdie putt from six feet. Uh, you know, it's that that doesn't matter. I, yeah, it's 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 pretty amazing how fate plays into everything that happens in life and. I mean, if you think about the probabilities and the chance of of his ball being exactly in the line that I need to putt through, and 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 my putt being for for par and his putt being for birdie, and you know if my putt's for birdie, then you know he's got a. I mean, like uh, uh, whatever. I mean, there's just so many things that yeah. If if and especially in a two person match, right? If you're playing in a foursome. Right. You might uh, you know, there might be a, a, a couple times during the round where a mark would be in somebody's line. But I mean, granted, it's not like his ball was really close to the hole either. I mean, his ball was six feet from the hole yeah. and mine was 10 feet. And so, you know, if you just think about all the spots on the green, I mean, if his ball is two inches to the right or an inch to the right or an inch to the left, I, I mean, I don't ask him to move it. So yeah. like it's it had to be in that exact spot. Yeah. And obviously match play versus stroke play, you know, match play, you're, it's a, I guess a, a big outcome. You lose the hole versus, well, I think it's a one shot penalty if, um, if it's in stroke play, if I recall, but, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, it's pretty interesting how, you know, kind of all that works out and, and, and then obviously here we are. Um, yeah. Let me ask you this. So in the book writing process, Trip, maybe throw in um, your thoughts here, obviously, and, and had written, obviously, I know this is your fourth book, if I recall. Yes. How did you guys go through the actual writing process? So you mentioned some interviews. Was it just sitting down and hearing his thoughts and then you writing? Was it, did you go through like some outline phases? How, how did you actually go through the writing process? Well, uh, with every book that begins, uh, that you present to your publisher and or editor, uh, you have to do an outline and, uh, basically the, the skeleton of the book and what it's going to be about. And you have to convince them to buy the idea before you even write the book. And I would, uh, I called Steve up and, and I had a little digital recorder 
and I would just let him talk and talk freely. And he's got a great memory, which is beautiful. And then I would try to make him sound like Shakespeare, which I think I did. (laughs) (laughs) He's a great storyteller into himself, and he's actually a pretty good writer into his own self, and his wife is as well, Christy. And I just I just knew the story, and as I told him often in the beginning, this story is going to just got to give it a chance. And as we began the process of just interviewing and 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 talking back and forth, and it was always in the afternoons. He knows I'm not a morning person, so I'm still not beating Brian at the moment. It uh, it will block this, this thing, but uh, <laughs> it just all came together. And you, you got to uh, you got you got to get out of the way uh, to me in, in great writing and. And I think this is a tremendous book, not because I wrote it, but because of the collaboration we shared. But uh, my favorite writer is actually Stephen King. He starts every book idea with a what if. Interesting enough that we were talking about the what ifs. And it was like, what if he didn't say anything? And that led to going all crazy enough, all the way back to the beginning of Steve Scott being a four-year-old kid in his kitchen, in a galley kitchen in Florida, hitting a plastic golf ball with a plastic golf club and trying to knock it in the cup. And that's where the story really begins. Interesting. What did, uh, so when you go, you approach the publisher, they obviously say, yeah, we're good to go. Is there some time frame where you have to get it done by? Is there like certain drafts that you have to write by certain moments? How, how does that process work? Oh gosh, we have probably had, I mean, if you, if you consider a draft every time you uh, tweak and or edit, although I don't, I don't edit anything or tweak anything until I'm done. Okay. I just let it flow all the way through and then I go back to it and probably i don't know 40 50 drafts if i were to guess uh we had about a let's see about a six month process but that means you got seven i need more time than i think i did and uh, a woman named julie gans and she's awesome she knows when to rein me in and when to let me run free like a bronco and she's very diplomatic she never says trip this i'm sorry it sucks she's like well you can do better you know that kind of thing but she's she's awesome um <laughs> it took, I guess it was, well, I don't know, see, let's, let's think about this. We started in uh, January, I yeah. believe, and uh, I remember you saying, what a great time to write a book during a pandemic, but when we're all having those, what is shelter in place, that's what it was called, shelter in yeah, place. Yeah, the, the, timing, the timing was pretty amazing, right? Yeah, we started in January, and then two months later, we had, you know, we had all the time in the world to get it done, essentially, <laughs> it felt like, as we were at home and staring at each other, and so, yeah. It even actually kind of, you grew up, a beard at one point, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I bathed for a week. But, uh, but to, I guess to fully answer your question, Brian, um, it, it certainly it, it is a process. But but the book the book ultimately writes itself, and I think the the, the best writing is thinking. Right? It's conversation. It's like we're having right now. If I was to think about the next thing I was going to say to you, I wouldn't be able to say a word. Yeah. You just got to you let it flow out. But I, mean, I think you're kind of born with it too, just like Steve's born storytelling. He's a born golfer. And but I learned I probably know more about Steve than he knows about himself after a year of interviews. <laughs> Would you encourage then, like, you know, if someone is writing and I guess it could be any type of book, but would you encourage us to throw stuff on paper, start, just kind of get the ideas out and then start to formulate it? Or would, they, would it depend on what type of book it is? Or what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I, I think you got to throw up on the page. You just got to flow it out. I, um, Gosh, I'm sadly blanking on the guy's name. Uh, I always, always wanted to be a writer when I grew up, and my wife got tired of me talking about it, and I ended up taking this uh, all-day course at Emory up in Atlanta when we lived up in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Last name is Bird. I can't remember his first name. Last name is Bird, B-U-R-D. 
and he handed us all, there's like 40 of us in a room, and he handed us all uh, post boards with, with no lines, of course. And he starts walking us through it in an elevator and my grandmother and all these different thoughts. And then he said, just, just write, just write. Mm. So you just start writing and you don't think. And then you go back and see what you've written. And when, whenever I write, I, I do it on uh, lines. That's on sketch pads, like an artist sketch pad, which I can't draw a stick, man. But there are no lines because I think lines can form. And you just flow it on out. Like I said, I, did, I didn't edit a single word. I didn't look back on anything until we were done with the interviews. And I felt, okay, we're here now. And then the process goes back of, you know, touching up in the corners or does this make sense or give me some, you know, accuracies. And am I right about this date? Am I right about that? You, you can't, you can't edit while you write. So you write first and then you go back and look and see what you got. So let me pull back if I could trip on that a little bit, if it's okay. So you, sure. obviously you were a caddy for a lot of years, right? And um, at Augusta and, and did those sort of things. Did you ever write then before? What, like when was the first time you actually decided to write? Like how old were you? Third grade. Uh, trying to win the love of a girl named Ginger Claxton. <laughs> she was, uh, in fact, Van Morrison's Brown Eyed Girl came out. And I said, your eyes are brown, right? And then I sang Brown Eyed Girl to her and, and that, that didn't go over well at all. <laughs> but then I, I wrote a uh, well I thought I wrote a, a song about her and it was called uh, well actually here, here's the story I wrote a, a story about this group called the Electric Eels which was actually I, I took that from an Archie comic book and they had a song called uh, the lyrics were the EE group like chicken soup will cure whatever ails you our music style would please the crowd our music never fails you and I had her in the story, and I made the mistake of instead of having her as a lead singer, I had Ginger Claxton as a groupie, and that didn't go over well either. <laughs> so uh, my first in, intro into writing and efforts uh, didn't go over too well, but it just, writing is, I guess I was born to do it. I, uh, it's the only time I'm not afraid, and I've played Division One golf, and I've been scared crapless, shitless, or whatever we can say on this podcast. But when I have a pen in my hand, I'm not afraid. I feel like I so, so you had intentions though to write like these. Like, when did your first book get published? Uh, Freddie and Me came out in 1990. Uh, hold on, not, not 19. Let me say, when uh, 2000, 2009, when uh, Angel Cabrera won the Masters, it came out two weeks before okay. that. And Angel's actually on the cover. I don't know if you happen to notice that. Oh, but but he's uh, and he's actually walking in the direction of his drive on number 10 in the playoff before the playoff. What did I guess that's where I'm kind of getting at is I don't want to say what took you so long, but was there like something that kept you from going that route of publishing a book and stuff? Was there anything that you had to overcome? I don't know if it was fear, if it was anything like that. I know I went through that a ton before even starting this podcast. Like, was was there anything like that that you had to overcome from a writing standpoint to put your work out in the world? It's a great question. Uh, actually, actually, I. I always wanted, I mean, I always wanted to be, you know, be, I like to be a writer when I grew up and ended up uh, going into advertising and having my own company. And I tried to actually get syndicated, oddly enough, to go way back in time uh, when I was just out of college. And I've got, I think, I think it was 76 rejection slips to, to show for my efforts. No thanks for your, because I used to write articles. No thanks for that. And then 
tried like hell to get an agent, and I got a bunch of uh, rejection slips that way. But then uh, for, through a friend of mine named John Bannon, uh, he hooked me up with a guy named John Antrasani, who was an agent, and that uh, led to the beginning of Freddie and Me. And and actually, the original idea was was called uh, for Freddie and Me. It was called Let the Caddy Out of the Bag, and it was going to be just my stories about being a caddy at Augusta National. And my editor at Skyhorse Publishing up in New York said, you know, there's a story here, but it's, it's more about the relationship between Freddie and Tripp. I said, I think there's something pretty special here. And I never really thought about my relationship with Freddie, even though obviously it, it was huge and it, it changed my life and he shaped my life and he edited my life and he saved my life and more than once. And I thought, well, I didn't know there's a story here. So I showed my wife the email from my agent about what Mark said, my editor, and my editor-to-be, I should say. And she comes over and hands me a beer after work and puts a, down a sheet of paper and says, write me a prologue. And I said, and I'm an English major, by the way. And I said, what's a prologue? And she goes, are you kidding me? You're an English major, you know what a prologue is? I said, no, I don't know what a prologue is. And she said, it's the beginning of the beginning. And I said, I still don't know what that means. <laughs> so I ended up, you just just write. And she handed me the pen. It's a Parker B7. And I start writing. And the prologue in Freddie and Me is pretty much unedited completely. Now, of course, the rest of the book is. But it, it just it just poured out. And I didn't realize how much Freddie meant to me. And so I started writing. And one little moment led to another. They're just like with the book uh, Hey, Tiger. And, you know, we start off. Also, it has a prologue, which is, I think, wonderful. And it's just totally yeah, sum, sums up the book in in uh, what six seven pages, and then, but we begin at the beginning, and it's with Steve and a plastic golf ball and a plastic golf club, and mm. and all that led to a a moment in time that, that will forever define the game of golf. So, Steve, obviously, that's awesome. Obviously, starting you know that young, I didn't start until I was eleven. So, kind of getting a club in your hand early is pretty cool. Is there any other you know things that shaped you to actually continue in the game of golf that made it something that you wanted to? obviously do for your life anything else you'd share yeah for sure i mean i had a very influential uh pro that i met just kind of uh, uh randomly uh, at a golf show one time and i was just hitting balls into a into a net in in this uh you know golf show sort of arena and and um just trying clubs and you know there was pga pros there and a gentleman an older gentleman by the name of ray daly came up to me and and I had this 10 finger grip and he said, Hey, why don't you, you know, try this overlap, this, you know, this Barden grip and where the pinky intersects with the, with your left of no, the right hand intersects with the left hand. I said, sure. And, you know, I started hitting it felt a little weird, but you know, I was hitting, I hit for a few minutes and he kind of liked my action. And as a 10 year old, and he said, Hey, he said, Hey, come down to the, come down to my range next Saturday. And um, you know, and I'll, I'll give you a lesson. And we went down there and, he ended up teaching me for free for the next like two years, every Saturday. And so Ray was a huge influence in my life. And, and then, uh, you know, unfortunately my parents divorced when I was 13. So that was, you know, in a way, obviously very, you know, very traumatizing for a, a 13 year old, but at the same time, it, it, it pushed me to towards golf even more. I moved with my mom and my stepdad to the northwest corner of arkansas and then memphis tennessee for my eighth grade year two places for one you know eighth grade and wow. so i really couldn't i didn't meet a lot of friends and so golf was my friend and 
I was able to uh, really, you know, just kind of blow off some steam on the golf course. And, you know, it, it kind of led really to that moment on that 34th hole. If you fast forward all the way, it's like, you know, at, at way back when I was 13, golf was there for me. It was my friend. And you know, fast forwarding to that U.S. Amateur, I, you know, instinctively in turn was there for the game. And, you know, that's a huge premise of the uh, huge you know, storyline of, of this book. Well, Steve, were you, I mean, were you scared to put the book out? I mean, obviously the story's known, right? It's, you, you can watch videos on what happened and stuff, but like actually getting it into writing and putting it out, that was a new endeavor for you. Yeah. I, I, I don't think, I don't think scared is the word. I think, um, I mean, it's kind of, ex- it's probably, it's more exciting, I think than anything. Yeah. Um, and I guess being, it's surreal as well to, to read, essentially your life story in print. Um, I think that that's, that's probably the, it's surreal would probably be the, the better word for it. Okay. Um, but yeah, just, I mean, certainly, you know, as, as the whole thing unfolded and I'm like, man, this is, this is turning out. I mean, you're right. Like everybody has a story in life and it's, it's amazing. Once you start uncovering the layers of the onion right and you're you're just you, you just kind of like wow there there is a there is a great story here and and then on top of that i mean not only is it a great story about perseverance and and uh you know just just uh, trying to you know the beat beat goliath uh, being me being david uh it's also a love story right i mean my girlfriend was caddying for me now we've been married almost 22 years have two great kids um, I mean, there's, and, and not too many females had caddied back in those days. Right. I mean, you had Fanny Sunison for Faldo and Nikki Stricker, and that was probably about it. And so Christy, she, she got this, you know, this little fame out of caddying for me and she's a real cute blonde and, and she's just great. Um, and she's been a great, great life partner for a long time. And, but, um, yeah, there's, there's so many layers to this story that you start to uncover and you're like, Wow, this is pretty deep. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, Trips published a few books. This was your first. Is there any advice for like a first time writer, someone that's thinking of maybe they have a story, maybe they have a life event they want to share? What, like, was there like a hurdle that you had? You're like, oh my gosh, yeah, I never yeah, realized make, this make, was part of it. Make, make sure you partner with somebody like, like Trip who has <laughs> the, the contacts in the publishing world. I think that, that that would be the number one thing to start with. Um, you know, getting a, a book published during a pandemic, I think was probably, you know, you think about those probabilities too. And that, that's a, a difficult yeah. feat in itself, but I mean, to be able to partner with oh, somebody man. like trip to, to have the contacts that he had, uh, it certainly, it really, really helped. Gotcha. Yeah. And trip, any, any other advice you'd give to, like I said, someone writing anything it can, it, based on how you wrote this book, it could be something totally different, but someone to give them encouragement. Cause I think yeah, at least what I, the experience I've gone through is like, there's a lot of things that need to be put out in the world and most people don't for a variety of reasons, but any other encouragement you'd share advice, um, anything on the book writing process? Another great question. I, w- I would say, don't give up. Don't give up. It's uh, writing is a is can be a very lonely business. Can be a very uh, not to talk bad about it, but it's like, is there any hope to this? And it, it's hard as hell to get published, like properly published, like like we are. Um, you got to get lucky, but you can't give up, and you just you persevere. 
as Steve was saying earlier about you know, in, the, in the game of golf, you, you persevere and you, you don't give up. And and it certainly helps to know the right people. And I know it's not. I know it's hard not to know. It's hard to know the right people if you don't know the right people. But you got to know the right people. <laughs> and and but you, you got to let the dominoes fall over, and, and they will. Like you know, ten years ago, there's no way in hell I would have been on your, your podcast. But dominoes fell over and one thing led to another and then i met steve and then we wrote a book and now we're on your show and and, and ma magic can happen if you let it happen you know i often find that if you get out of the way if you get out of the way it'll happen yeah that, no that's a great thought sometimes yeah and and to your point earlier is you know you just kind of got to let it flow get it on paper just kind of let things happen instead of overthinking and crippling yourself you know i think it's a big can't. thing I, yeah. I agree completely you can't you, in fact i don't, I don't think you think at all you just got to as I told Steve often in the beginning of the book, it's going to write itself. And when it does, and I'll just get out of the way. And I just, I'm, I'm, I told him many times and you probably thought, well, you shut up with a conduit talk. But I said, <laughs> I said, dude, I'm just a conduit. This is, this is either God working or whatever entity you believe in just flowing through yeah. us and let's get out of the way. Let it yeah, happen. The, st the story itself. I mean, yeah, right. It, it had, it had a ton of power. Uh, I mean, the story, it was just a matter of yeah, how it was going to be shaped and, but the story itself, I mean, I, I've, I've told some people this in the last few weeks, but I mean, it's a story that I've told for 25 years now without a book. Mm -hmm. And now I'm going to tell it for the next, you know, till I'm in the grave with a book. So um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really surreal experience. But yeah, it, you have to start with that powerful story. And yeah, and then you, you're right, you just kind of get out of the way, you know. So where can everyone find the book? Give me the, the details and everything. Yeah, you can you can pre-order it uh, on, on through my website, movethatback.com. I'll personally sign it and put a little uh, ball marker in there for you as well. Uh, again, movethatback.com, uh, and you can pre-order it on Amazon and all the places you get books, and I'm sure tripbowden.com and and uh, you know. But we'll you know we'll, you, we don't get the personally signed books through Amazon, so come through uh, come through our websites. <laughs> Fair enough. Awesome. And where can everyone just, if they want to connect with you online, where's the best spot if they want to say hello? Yeah. I mean, you know, through the, through that, through the move that back.com, I've got a, you can, you can send me a message. Uh, uh, that's totally fine. My, even my personal website, Steve Scott, PGA.com um, at, at S Scott PGA on Instagram and Twitter um, kind of all over the place. I know trip is trip is out there too on the social media world. Yeah, and you can, uh, if anyone wants to holler at me about the writing world or any world at all, it's uh, tripster at comcast.net. That's T-R-I-P-P-S-T-E-R -P -P -E at comcast.net. I'll, awesome. I'll answer back. Awesome, guys. This was a blast. I was glad to, to have you on, at least share some of this, uh, the journey, and uh, certainly appreciate your insight today. So thank you so much for joining. Oh, thank, thanks, thanks for having Brian. us on. Honor. Thanks so much. Honor. You take care. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that great interview. And thanks again for stopping by the Just Get Started podcast. Uh, grateful to have you here. And if I could just make one quick ask before you run along on your day, you know, I've grown this podcast organically over the last three plus years. And it's from the great listeners that pick up, you know, a quote or a key learning or just enjoy the entertainment of the podcast and they share it out to their audience. They leave a review on Apple Podcasts, whatever it is. Um, and I'd ask that for you as well. If you've made it to this point and are listening in, 
Um, a lot of the podcast uh, platforms that you listen on have a share button right there where you can share it out to your audience on various platforms. So I would be so appreciative if you wouldn't mind taking a quick second to do that um, if you really enjoyed this episode. So thanks again. I'm happy to connect online. I always love to meet new people. So if you want to go to my website, brianondraco.com, or connect with me, I'm at brianondraco, basically everywhere on Instagram, Twitter, even Clubhouse, that new app that's out there, uh, you name it. So uh, follow me online and uh, certainly look forward to connecting further. I hope you all have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.